All right, good morning, everyone. It's a big buzz of conversation going around. But I'll invite you to grab your drinks and come on inside. These feedback noises weren't part of the video we were just listening to. Hello. All right. Well, as everyone comes in, uh, there's a lot of new faces this morning, which is great, so I'll introduce myself. My name is Mike. I'm the youth pastor here at Jericho Ridge, and we are coming into our summer series, or actually our last summer series in the LEC, which is kind of sad, but also very exciting as we move to Port Kells in the fall. So in our summer series, we do things a little bit differently. We have a lot of the kids still in with us. We do a Sunday cinema upstairs for grade twos and under. So if you're in grade two or under, you can rush upstairs so you don't miss that. But we have a little bit of fun, as you can see by my fancy table. And I got a bunch of stuff underneath. So we're going to have some fun as we go through our Bible series this morning. But before we start into that, I just want to give a quick little review of last summer. We went through the story of Elijah, uh, and it, we called it Elijah Bold Faith. And where we ended was Elijah being taken up into heaven. He crossed the Jordan River uh, with his protege, Elisha, which gets very confusion, confusing when you're trying to preach a story with Elijah and Elisha because they sound so similar. But they're both going across the river, uh, and there Elisha knows he, or Elijah knows he's going to be taken up. Chariots of fire comes down and takes up Elijah. And he leaves his cloak behind for his protege, Elisha, who asks for a double portion of his spirit. And he takes Elisha's cloak, and he goes to the Jordan River and hits the river with his cloak, and it splits open for him to walk across dry land, which was a sign that uh, Elisha has indeed inherited his spirit. And so now we move into this summer series where we're focusing on Elijah's protege, Elisha, and uh, what we're calling Stranger Kings 2, because it's Second Kings that's in there, I hope, in case you didn't get that. Uh, and we picked this title because as we sat down as a teaching team to look at the story of Elisha, the first thing that came to mind when we thought of Elisha was it's just strange. He's just got a bunch of really weird, strange stories, some miracles. Um, just, he's just a really weird dude. And so strange was the first thing that came up when we thought of Elisha. So this morning, we're going to look at a collection of his miracles. We're going to look at four of his miracles this morning. And all of these are placed right near the beginning of Elisha's story. And the reason that, uh, one of the reasons these miracles are all placed in this part, there are a bunch of smaller miracles that he does, uh, is to prove that Elisha did in fact inherit a double portion of Elijah's spirit. That he does have Elisha's power to do these miracles. So he does a bunch of these miracles. Now we're going to see some differences between Elijah's ministry and Elisha's ministry. For one thing, Elijah did really like big things. He dealt with big political problems as he continually clashed with King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And he did uh, a lot of big cosmic things as he goes to battle with the cult of Baal and their false god worship. Elisha doesn't 
do as much of that big kind of stuff. He does a couple of things with kings, but he's mostly in with the everyday people, which we're going to see in these four miracles. So we're going to get right into this with Elisha with our first story, which occurs in 2 Kings 2, 19 to 22. And one thing we'll see about Elisha is that he tends to be a little bit of a wanderer. He likes going from place to place. He seems to kind of aimlessly wander around. And so one of these days he's wandering about and he comes uh, wandering close to the city of Jericho, which is right next to the Jordan River. It's nice and circled in red there on your screen. And as he's wandering uh, into the city, uh, a group of people come up to him and ask for his help. They say, please, can you help us? We really, really need your help. As you can see, our city is located in just a beautiful place. We've got some great scenery. We're overlooking uh, pretty close to this river. It's like a very beautiful place. But the water isn't very good. It's bad water. It makes us sick. It tastes bad. And we use this water and we water our crops and nothing happens. Nothing grows. We can't grow any crops and so we're running out of food. So we really need your help to purify this water. So Elisha says, okay, what I need you to do is I need you to bring me a brand new bowl. Now, this one's not a new bowl. I made sure to grab one of our chipped bowls because, well, you can't trust me with things. I'll break them. But in theory, this is a new bowl. He wants you to bring, they want him to bring a new bowl. No stew has ever been eaten out of it. No soup has ever been poured into it. No breakfast cereal, never been used. And he asked for them to put into it some salt. And so they come and they bring him a brand new bowl with some salt in it. And he goes over to their water source and he just puts all the salt into their water source. And then he declares this. I, uh, God says this. I have purified your water. It's no longer going to be bad. Uh, it will be all good for you. And so now when they used the water, it no longer tasted bitter. It was no longer uh, bad for them. And in fact, it grew plants. Whoa. It works. Good water. This is the first miracle. He purifies the water. And then the story says, and to this day, it remained pure. So this takes place in the city of Jericho. And for those of you who grew up in Sunday school, I didn't grow up in Sunday school, but my wife made very, made sure that I knew about Veggie Tales. And when you think of the city of Jericho, you might think of the, the movie Joshua and the Big Wall. So Jericho was well known for being this big fortress city. It had these massive walls. And uh, the city of Jericho goes back into the book of Joshua. And what's happening in Joshua is Israel has just come out of the Exodus uh, they were in Egypt as slaves. God, through a bunch of miracles, brought them out of Egypt and across uh, into the wilderness. They wandered the wilderness for 40 years until Joshua takes over as leader. And now they come across that Jordan River and they have entered into this land that God has promised to give them. And now Joshua is going to start this military campaign to come in and take over the land. And one of the first cities they come across is the city of Jericho and its giant walls. And Jericho refuses to let um, 
Joshua and the Israelites through. And so God gives them these commands. He tells the Israelite army that for six days, every day for six days, they're to go out and they're to march around the, wall, uh, around the city once. So they do this for six days. The first day, march around the city. Second day, march around the city. Every day they do this for six days. And then on the seventh day, God tells them, all right, I want you to take your army and you're going to march around the city seven times. And after you've marched seven times, everyone blow your trumpets at the same time. And so the Israelites go out and they march around the city seven times. And after they're done, they take out their trumpets and blow out one big note and the walls come tumbling down and Israel goes in and takes over the city. And after they take over the city, Joshua places a curse on uh, now the ruins of the city. And he says, cursed is anyone who tries to rebuild the city. It's going to cost them their sons. And so this curse is placed on the city. And we see this curse takes effect in uh, 1 Kings 12, when this guy named Hiel of Bethel comes in and he decides he's going to rebuild the city. So as he starts laying the foundation for the city, his firstborn child dies. And then as he finishes the city, his youngest son dies, showing that the curse is in place. And now we see this curse is still taking effect as their water is bad and no life can come out of the ground from their crops because of this water. And so this is all happening. And this is why Elisha says, bring me a new bowl and bring me some salt. The new bowl is to represent, since it's new, it means it's ceremonial, clean, it's pure. It means Elisha's going to do a ritual, something to uh, ask God to help do something through this ritual. So he needs something new, something that hasn't been uh, created impure by your breakfast cereal or by your soup. And then he asked for salt. And the reason for salt is salt was a symbol of uh, purity because it stopped meat from rotting before there was refrigerators. I guess you poured a lot. I don't know these things because I'm not a hunter or anything. But people and the internet tells me that you put a bunch of salt in meat and it keeps it from going bad. So salt had this idea that it helped against corruption. So it was good for getting rid of curses. So Elisha's recognizing that this is a curse that has been placed on the city. And he uses the salt to purify and get rid of the curse. So what do we learn about God in this story? And here we see that God is merciful. Joshua originally puts, puts that curse on Jericho because they rebel against God. They stand in the way of God's people and not let them through. And they refuse to acknowledge the God of Israel as being a God. And so they rebel and stand in the way. God defeats them, and so a curse is put on them because they've rebelled against God. And it continues to be cursed. The water becomes bad because Hiel of Bethel rebels against God as well. God has shown that he has no desire for that city to be rebuilt because Joshua puts a curse on it. And Proverbs says that uh, a curse that's unfounded will not stay on a person. But this curse obviously stays, so it was founded. They rebelled against God originally. Now, Hiel of Bethel, he's from Bethel, which is a city in Israel, so he's an Israelite, is now rebelling against God by saying, I don't care that you don't want the city built, I'm going to rebuild it. And so this curse stays on. But now God comes, and here comes Elisha, and God has mercy on the city, and finally removes this curse of bad water that's stopping any life from it. And it's because the people finally come to God. They spend all these centuries standing in defiance of God, uh, blocking the way of God's people, 
rebuilding the city when God said it shouldn't be rebuilt. And finally, now they come to Elisha, God's prophet, the one who represents God's presence and says, please help us. We need your help. They finally come and depend on God. And since they repent of their ways, they receive God's mercy and forgiveness and healing. And so God has mercy on this city that has been defiant for so long. And it just takes one time of this group of people coming and repenting and saying, we need your help. And God has mercy and forgiveness on them and heals their water. So we see that God is merciful. All right, we're going to set the stage now for our second story. Which occurs, actually, it's our second and third story. And it occurs in 2 Kings 4, 39 to 4, 44. So Elisha's off wandering again, and this time he finds himself near the city of Gilgal, which is just east and I think a little bit north of where Jericho was. And uh, this is during a time of a famine, so people don't have enough food to eat. People are going hungry. And so in our first story, he's outside of this small town, Gilgal, with his group of prophets that have come and surrounded, uh, surrounded him, or his school of prophets. And they're out just outside the city. And uh, Elisha says, why don't we make some stew? So he says to his servant, I want you to get me a pot and put it on the fire and start heating it up and we're going to make some stew. So all the uh, prophets go out into the woods and start gathering wild herbs and vegetables for their stews. And one of the prophets comes along this lovely gourd, this nice wild vegetable, and says, man, that looks delicious. That's going to make a really good stew. And so he grabs it and he brings it back and he shreds it into really small pieces and puts it in the stew and they make the stew. What he didn't realize was this wild vegetable happened to be poisonous. And so now the prophets start eating and they're like, this stew tastes a little weird, a little bitter. And one of them cries out, there's poison in the stew. And they can't get the pieces out because he's shredded it into really impossibly you know, shred, thin, I don't know, thin slices. Again, I don't know how to salt meat. I'm not much of a cook. Um, but I think I know what shred means. Yeah, I have a paper shredder. Uh, so he shreds it into a bunch of little pieces and puts it in the stew. And they realize it's poison. They start crying out. And so Elisha grabs some flour. Oh. And he grabs a handful. Oh, this, oh, I did not anticipate how messy this was going to be. And he puts it in the stew. I'm sorry, you guys are going to have flour all over you. This is the danger of sitting in the front row. He puts it in the stew. I'm going to put that away now. And he says, okay, you can eat it. It's fine. And so they eat it. Now the stew tastes good again. And they survive. They didn't get poisoned. He nullifies the poison. It's a miracle. In our second story, again, it's still a famine. Elisha yeah, is... Well, it doesn't say exactly where he is, but I'm going to say he's in Gilgal, or he might be in this other city that's going to be really hard to say. But he's standing there, uh, and this man from the city, Baal Shalisha, oh, yeah, I felt good about that one. He comes, and he brings Elisha a fresh sack of grain and 20 loaves of bread, and he gives it to him as a tithe. So this famine is still going on. The people are hungry, and Elisha says, 
to his servant, give the food to the people so that they can eat. And his servant goes, what are you talking about? How am I going to feed an entire village with 20 loaves of bread? And Elisha says, don't worry about it. God's got it. God says that everyone's going to eat, be satisfied, and there'll even be some leftovers. So his servant starts handing out the uh, bread. And wouldn't you know it, everyone gets some bread. Everyone eats. They're satisfied. And there's leftovers. Just as God promised. We see Jesus reenact that second story, the miraculous feeding, with thousands of people and a few uh, loaves of bread and a few fish. Elisha's probably, I think some text says he's feeding hundreds of people. So Jesus amplifies that miracle and feeds way more people. But we see the similar miracle here. And what's interesting in the Elisha story is the man who brings the fresh grain and the bread brings it as as a tithe. It's his first fruits. And so in the Old Testament, uh, to give your tithe, they didn't, they gave some money, but a lot of people are farmers and poor and don't really have money. So they bring their crops uh, and they made sure to bring the first fruits. If you just bring a tithe and you just take, all right, this is all that I need and now I'm going to give the rest to God. That's not putting as much trust as if when you're putting your first fruits. So the Old Testament wants uh, his, their people to bring the first of their crops. And because then you're saying, okay, I'm going to take this 10% of my crop, the first harvest I got, I'm going to give it to God. And now I'm going to trust that God's going to provide all my needs with the rest. And so this guy is bringing his tithe to Elisha instead of the temple where it usually went. And so this says something about how the temple is operating. Obviously, there's some corruption going on in the temple where this guy saw that it wasn't properly using this tithe that's supposed to be for God in the right way. Usually, uh, the priests who work full-time at the temple would take some of the tithe in order to meet their own needs so they can full-time serve the temple, and then the rest would be used uh, for whatever way they needed to to serve God. So it seems that as has been throughout the history of Israel with priests, the priests tend to take a little bit more than they should and start getting wealthy off the tithe, which is not what God wanted. So this man comes to Elijah, who he recognizes as a true servant of God, and brings his tithe to him. And Elisha uses it in what I would say would be the way that God wants it to be used. He feeds the hungry with this food that he's brought. And God blesses that. And so what do we see with, about God in this story? We see that God is compassionate. He sees a group of hungry prophets who are ignorant of whether a vegetable is poisonous or not and purifies their stew so that they can eat. He sees a group of villagers in the middle of a famine who are starving and sees the man's generosity who brings his tithe and his first fruits and uses that to bless the food, multiply it, and make sure that everyone eats. He has compassion on the people. And Elisha's out in Gilgal, which is a small town. These are the people on the outskirts, the poor, that he's coming and he's feeding. And also the prophets tend not to make any money. In fact, lots of people tend to hate prophets. Uh, and yet he sees their hunger and he feeds them. He has compassion on them. In Elisha's story, it's God showing his compassion through his prophet Elisha. When Jesus does the feeding, the Bible says that Jesus, he, uh, all these people come out into the wilderness in the middle of nowhere to hear Jesus teach. 
and it gets late and says Jesus looks over the great crowds and has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost, wandering, and aimless. And so he feeds them. And in Jesus' story, it's not God working through the prophet to show his compassion. It's God himself as a human being showing his compassion directly to his people. God has compassion on his people. God is merciful. And so now we're going to come to our final story, and we're going to play a little game. Those of you who've watched uh, old David Letterman might know this game. It's called Will It Float? Yes. All right. Uh, so I got some things to float here. And you can yell out whether you think it's going to float or not. Let's see. What do we have in here? Let's start with this. A ping pong ball. It'll float. It floats. Good work. Good work. All right. Uh, how about an apple? Does an apple float? Floats. It floats. Anyone come bob for that apple? I'm just kidding. I think it's been in our fridge for a little bit, so I don't think it's very good. But it floats. All right. Ball of tin foil or aluminum foil, sorry. Float, float. It does float. I totally thought that was in the sink. Don't believe everything you see on the internet, people. All right. Well, if a ball of tinfoil floats, I think you can get this one right, which is a tinfoil boat filled with plastic golf balls. Oh, the golf balls float, so that's one thing. Floats. See, this was supposed to be a great variety of things that sink. <laughs> I watched a bunch of David Letterman clips, but they didn't help. He threw like a whole cheese log into a thing. All right, anyways, moving on. How about an axe? Will that float? If this floats, I'm going to be so disappointed. It'll be a profit. It'll be a miracle. Yeah, it sinks. All right, of course an axe sinks. Of course a ball of aluminum foil doesn't sink. So that brings us to our next story. Elijah is out by the Jordan River. I hope you don't mind if I leave your axe in the water for a bit there. Uh, it's fine. It keeps it clean. Okay, good. Uh, he's down by the Jordan River uh, with his group of prophets, and they realize actually how much their group has grown. Uh, as they notice, the place that they meet in is actually too small to contain them all now. And so the prophets decide they're going to come up with a building project. Sound a little familiar, Jericho? <laughs> they come up with a building project. And so they say to Elijah, I think we, we should actually build uh, a bigger building so we can all fit. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there's lots of logs uh, and make a building. And Elisha says, okay, you guys go ahead and do that. But they say to him, Elisha, we really like being in your presence and we really like hanging out with you. So if you could actually just like come with us to the river, that would be fantastic. And Elisha says, okay, I'll come along. And so they go down to the river and they have their axes and they start cutting down logs. And one prophet's axe breaks. And the axe head flies into the river, just the head, not the handle. Uh, and it sinks to the bottom as we see axe heads do. And the prophet is distraught. He is upset. He goes to Elisha and says, that was a borrowed axe. And Elisha asks him, okay, where did it fall? 
and he points to the spot in the river where it falls, and Elisha cuts off a twig from a, a branch and throws it into the river at the spot, and then the axe head miraculously floats to the top, and the prophet is able to go out and grab it and repair this borrowed axe. So, and we can see that's a miracle because obviously the axe head floats. Or not, doesn't float, it sinks. Obviously it sinks. Everything else in that bin floats. So, when, when you do, sometimes when you study Bible stories, you come across in commentaries some really pointless, well, seemingly pointless arguments. I don't know, they're smart people. Maybe there's a point to them. One of them that I came across in almost every commentary I read is what does this word borrowed mean? And some people say that uh, the prophet, who's obviously poor, borrow means he went out and begged people for money, and he begged and he begged until he had enough money, and then he bought the axe, and that's why it's valuable to him. He worked really hard to be able to afford the axe. And some commentaries say, no, borrowed means borrowed. He went to someone and asked them to borrow their axe, and now it's broken, and now he's responsible to pay him back. These are the kind of things that you want to read about, or you don't want to, well depends on who you are. They obviously really want to write about them because every single commentary had an opinion on this. What's important to us is that this axe was important for some reason to this prophet. And he's upset when he loses it. And what's also even more important, in fact, is that what does this tell us about God? So we've seen that God is merciful. We've seen that God is compassionate. And here we see that God loves his people. He cares for the things that the people care about. He cares that this prophet is upset over a sunken axe. It's even the little things. God care, cares about all the little things in our lives. He cares that we can be upset about hurtful words that a classmate or a co-worker says to us. That we can be stressed out over due dates and deadlines. And his love doesn't always mean that he's going to give us an axe head floating miracle. But he's going to show us his love in some way. So that we know that even in these little problems that bother us, we're not alone. Because he's with us and he loves us. We see that God is merciful. That God is compassionate. And that God loves and in these four stories, we see a narrowing down. If we look back at last summer in our series, Elijah, he's having contests with false prophets of Baal and dramatic encounters on the mountaintops, setting fire from sky. He's fighting against a king who is leading the people in bad ways and his queen who's even worse at leading people in bad ways and doing all these awful things, these big political and cosmic things. And then Elisha's first miracle is to a city that has bad water. And then his next miracle is to a small community that is hungry, whether they're prophets or a small village. And in the final story, he comes to an individual prophet who is upset over his broken axe. And so what we see in this shrinking, in this narrowing, is that God is merciful and compassionate and loves the world. He loves the city, he loves the neighborhood, 
and he loves the individual. The truth that we need to hear this morning is that God is merciful to Langley, that he's merciful to your neighbors in Willoughby or Clayton Heights or Cloverdale or wherever you call home. He's merciful to Jericho Ridge. He's merciful to you. That he's compassionate towards Langley, he's compassionate towards your neighborhoods, and he's compassionate towards you. That God loves Langley, God loves your neighbors, and God loves you. And so as the worship team comes up, as we prepare for a time of response, let's spend some time reflecting on our day, the rest of our day that's coming up, our week. Those things that are causing us anxiety, those things that are causing us stress, that are causing us worry. No matter how big, no matter how small, God cares about those things because you care about those things. And sometimes we don't bring the small things to God because as we sang about this morning very purposefully about how great is our God, this big God who is sovereign and all-powerful, but he cares about each individual and each of our cares. He cares that a prophet broke his axe and was upset, so he cares about your problems. We're going to have a prayer response team. You can bring those cares in prayer yourself or with some members of our prayer response. Gary and Betty and Sylvia and I believe Allie as well will be at the back and you can do that. Or maybe as you look forward this week, there's something you're really excited about. There's something that you're joyful about. You can bring that to prayer with God too and celebrate and praise him for those things as well. And maybe we reflect on our neighbors and know that God loves that neighbor. God has compassion on that neighbor. God is merciful on that neighbor. And that God calls us to be like Elisha, his representative. And God wants to show that care, that mercy, that love, that compassion through us. And just opening ourselves and saying, God, how do you want me to show that love? How do you want me to show that compassion? How do you want me to show that mercy? So there are some things we can reflect on as the worship team leads us in song now.